Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me is my co-host, who will always tell me if I'm on fire, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? You know, Andy, as I was watching this movie, I thought to myself, maybe one day up in the sky, I'll be recording podcasts, and there'll be a microphone right next to me, and that microphone's for you, Andy. That's awesome. That's good to know. (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) Awesome and morbid at the same time, (laughs) which in a way is kind of like this week's movie. (laughs) The Apple Dumpling Gang, right? The Apple Dumpling Gang. Yes, the Apple Dumpling Gang. So I'm gonna I'm gonna come out with this, Andy. Uh, This is me not coming in hot. This is me coming Mm -hmm. in reasonable. (laughs) This movie is. Um, how do I want to say this? I want to say this movie is unmemorable, but not bad to me. Oh, well, this, you know, this movie's really wedged in my brain um, from growing up. I, I saw think- it I saw it at the drive-in with my family in the 1970s. I saw it on film reels in my elementary school in the 1980s. And I checked it out on VHS from the library probably countless times. And I think the reason I like this movie so much is that I'm sort of nostalgic for it. Um, And and I'm not nostalgic for it at all. And my feeling is this is a movie that didn't harm me the way other movies have harmed me, but it's not going to stay with me. And, but here's, here's the thing. I honestly think in the DNA of this movie is an amazing movie that could have been. And I learned a lot from watching it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also, I want to talk to you for a little bit. I found this interesting that this movie got a G rating. We've been talking about G ratings this whole season. Yeah, that seems to be the recurring theme. Do you just want to do that now? Yeah, like uh, there's drinking, there's shooting, there's threats of hanging, there's fighting and smoking. And I watched it in elementary school. (laughs) I mean, clearly the, the standards of what a G rating means has evolved over time. Um, So I guess G rating in 1975 meant guns without bullets. I guess that's what the G stands for. Implied violence, but no actual physical harm. I I guess so. I guess so. Uh, But still, there's a lot of, I mean, there's even a, there's even a bit in this where um, Donovan and uh, Magnolia, like where they're, where they're talking about this marriage they're going to get into and I mean, it's very clear that they're talking about will he do his husbandly duties. I don't recall that conversation in most G-rated movies. That movie, right? oh, well, that part escaped me when I was like six years old. But that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. But but in a movie with a G rating, I don't yes. expect that conversation. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's jump into some key facts to get this Please. party started. Um, so Jack Bickham uh, was a prolific writer and a professor at the University of Oklahoma. He crafted over 75 books that we know of. And I say that we know of because he used a number of pen names. He mo- wrote mostly Westerns. And in 1971, Doubleday published uh, Jack Bickham's The Apple Dumpling Gang. Now, in the book, the town drunk skips town, leaving the sheriff to tend to his kids. And the sheriff is facing re-election. And the townspeople are irritated because the sheriff is too busy babysitting to keep law and order. Wait, that's better. 
I know it is. That's so much better. That's Pollyanna in the West. Yes. That's exactly. Pollyanna goes west. That's exactly yep. Pollyanna goes west. Oh my gosh. Why why did they not do that? Mm, don't know. Don't know. I have some theories about it when we get into plot. Um, so to assess the success of family movies at the t- in the time in the 70s. Critic Roger Ebert uh, developed what he called the Thunder Index as a way to measure audience enthusiasm. What is that? The Thunder Index. And he said, to the degree that the kids do not thunder up and down the aisles and up and down on each other, they're enjoying the movie or at least lulled by it. But when there are more kids at the candy counter than in the theater, something has gone wrong. And you, so, so I guess with Blackbeard's ghost, he, when he watched that, there were more kids. The kids all left, right? Okay. But using the th- using his thunder index, it, Ebert deemed the Apple Dumpling Gang a success. He said the story was simple and obvious, but it was told with a lot of energy and some great character actors. I don't know. That thunder index is like damning with faint praise, I, I think. <laughs> well, the kids stayed in their seat. It's a success. Is that really... Well, you know, I, I agree you, with Ebert. Do you remember, Mo- though? Do you remember, like, running around in the movie theater a little bit? Never. Like, you didn't? Okay. Ne- I would well, never. I guess, d- mm. You know, when my kids were really little, they would do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, I have no memory of ever running up and down in the middle of a boring movie. So uh, so a lot of times in the 70s, like, I'm a little, little bit older than you, but in the 70s, like, um, I remember... Um, now, I wasn't dropped off at the movie theater, but my cousins were on the regular. Like, they'd just okay. get dropped off at the movie theater and, oh, hey, go watch your show and I'll pick you up after. So, and they were, I mean, we're like, you know. So they were unsupervised. Great. Exactly, exactly. So if the kids aren't into it, that's a, that's a, yeah. So there's probably, probably more to it than that. So, but this movie is the first to pair the comedy duo of Tim Conway and Don Knotts. Uh, Conway, okay. of course course starred in McHale's Navy. He was a frequent contributor and later a permanent cast member on the Carol Burnett show, which is where most people think of him. Uh, he's also the voice of Barnacle Boy and SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, neat. Which I did not know until I did the research for this movie. Uh, Don Knotts is best known, of course, for his role as Mayberry's Deputy Sheriff Bernard P. Fife on the Andy Griffith show. And see, uh, I think of him as Mr. Furley. Uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah. On uh, on Three's, Three's Company. Company. Yeah. That's that's great. Uh, so Knotts stars in a number of Disney films, including Gus, No Deposit, No Return, Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo, and Hot Lead and Cold Feet, all movies that we need to do on this program. Yeah. Uh, he's also the voice of Mayor Turkey Lurkey in Chicken Little. Ooh. I don't remember Chicken Little. I might have seen it. <laughs> That's a good Bill movie. I like we'll it. get to that one, too. We'll, we'll eventually we'll get to that one. So up to this time, Bill Bixby has had a number of roles in uh, movies and television with My Favorite Martian and The Courtship of Eddie's Father. And he hosted a PBS series that I remember very clearly called Once Upon a Classic. But uh, most people remember Bill Bixby as Dr. David Banner in the Incredible Hulk TV series, which will come out after the Apple Dumpling Gang in 1978. Which is where I know him from, for sure. Exactly, yes. exactly. And according to D23, when the sets were planned at Disney Studios, there were three copies of the bank that had to be built. And one was on the sound, soundstage, and two were outdoors on the back lot, 
with one roofless with exposed burned beams, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie was filmed at the studio, of course, and on location at the Tropico uh, Gold Mine in Rosamond, California. And in the Los Padres and is it Deschutes National Forests in Oregon? I'm Your guess is as good as mine. All right. If you're from Oregon and you want to correct me, please do. Uh, the movie was a smashing success with the, for Disney. Uh, 38, or $36.8 million at the box office overall. Uh, $13 million in the at, at, on the first. And then, of course, they have subsequent screenings because it's such a big hit. And that's a big win for Disney on a four, a $4 million budget. And I'm immediately going to have to retract something I said at the beginning of it. If this was a big hit, and I, I think this movie is perfectly... They weren't making a movie for the ages. They were making a movie for 1975. And if that's... that's right. If that's your goal, and this was a big success, then yeah. anything I say that I think could improve this movie was unnecessary. Yeah. However, <laughs> if you want, so so I'll say the things that I think could improve this movie that could make this a movie for the ages. I think hmm. that by that standard, I think my criticisms will still hold up. Fair I, enough. I, I think this would be myself. hard for young people to watch now, judging by the number of young people in my class. In my in my in my house, who left the room uh, about twenty minutes in? Yeah, my my kids really like this story, and I I don't know if it's because of their their backgrounds or what, but they you know they like sure it sure sure they like our kids bring different things to this. That's right, that's right. All right, let's do our least favorite segment: casual racist roundup. I'm calling it casual <laughs> racist roundup as opposed to racist roundup because I really don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Um. In this town, in the in the old west, um, there is a Chinese laundry service happening. Um, one of the characters is named Oso. The music that plays uh, when we meet these characters um, is that sort of stereotypical. Ha ha ha! Look, there's Chinese people in this movie. Although I don't actually recall them doing anything particularly comical. The, the the funny thing seems to be that they speak Chinese and they and they're the way they're dressed and uh, they're in the movie for about fifteen to twenty seconds. It is cringeworthy, um, an easy edit out, unnecessary. I don't know who it's for. I don't know who finds this funny. Uh, should not be in this movie. And I and I want to throw out. There's no problem having Chinese characters in your Old West movie. No, uh, Im- not at immigrants all. were a thing in Absolutely. the Old West. So much labor was done there. You just don't have to go like, "Ha ha, isn't it funny?" Some people aren't white. I right, exactly. Why? Exactly. Why do that? Um, we've explored this a lot, so I'm just going to say um, you can get through the racist part pretty quickly without it's, probably it's your children seconds. without your seconds. children noticing um yeah so this is a casual racist roundup <laughs> right on but let's let's go into something i actually really want to talk about and i may yeah. want to talk about the manish tana to this movie more than i want to talk about anything else that's in this movie andy mm-hmm. uh this this manish tana for me is a big misstep so when this movie opens up, 
Uh, you know, we've got the credits, the Apple Dumpling Gang. We've got some establishing shots that show us that there's the Old West. We see a man riding a horse down a road. Uh, not my favorite way to open anything. I never like movies that are like, there's a car driving down the road. There's a horse driving down the road. It's like, yes, people go from location to location. That's not cinematic. That's not really a movie. But I'll forgive that. That's not the real part I I have to deal with. Um, we the, the man rides into town and we meet two rogues who are planning to waylay this man. Uh, when we meet them, some sinister music plays to let us know these guys are up to no good. They plan to waylay this man and their plan comically misfires to the point that the man who rides past them doesn't even notice the attempt to rob them. <laughs> and that is the Manish Tana to this movie. So before we talk about how I feel like this, this moment is a misstep, why do we think the movie begins this way? Well, what do you think was the thinking here? I think I actually think there's a double Manish Tana here, but um, in this scene... Uh, the first is where we have a gang. You know, it's a stranger comes to town, right? Oh, that's a that's a very bring typical, that up a lot on this podcast. Yeah, that's a very typical uh, Western opening, right? Uh, and the bumbling outlaws, obviously. Now, uh, and of course, they don't they don't succeed. Uh, why he he's so he's coming in now? Why he's and it seems like he's going to New Orleans via. I, I mean, I don't even know that we know that yet. We don't know that yet. I don't just, even know that he's a stranger to this town. Like he could be returning. Well, home. I he mean, could be. Yeah, I mean that. Well, the the guys there seem like Theodore and Amos seem to know that he's a stranger. They they seem to signify that. But other than that, we don't really know. Yeah. Until but, he but, sits down at the table. But why open the movie this way? What what what? It's I I have to imagine. The thinking is we want to establish right from the beginning two things. This is a Western and this is a comedy for children, mm -hmm. right? So we're going to begin on both of those things, but we're also going to introduce our clowns. You know, as soon as we get a close up of uh, Don Knotts and Tim Conway, we're not we're not really taking them super seriously, even if the music sting seems to. We watch them. We watch them bumble. It's like. Let us, it's letting us know, hey, right. this is going to be a goofy time. If you're used to old westerns where people are actually shooting and dying and and the stakes are high, you're in this the isn't, theater. This isn't that, right? But but then there's a little bit of, you know, we see him for a little bit and we get some exposition. And then another set of strangers come to town, which are three kids, Bobby, Clovis, and Celia, on the stagecoach, right? Um, it's weird. Because it feels to me like maybe that was the beginning of the movie initially. And then they changed it to... And then they... Yes, because maybe it was just too much. It wasn't funny enough. Because it right, kind of loses... The, the joke is that she needs to go to the bathroom 15 times. Right. And it's just, it's not landing very well. Could, could be. I actually want to say, here's the real misstep for me. Okay. This movie is called The Apple Dumpling Gang. I'm going into this movie not really knowing what what that means. A, a guy comes in on, on horseback, and other than the fact that I know that one day that guy will play the Incredible Hulk, 
Um, there's nothing really keying me into the idea that he's actually anything more than a day player in this movie. Not right. yet, right? He's just driving through. He doesn't get a line in that particular sequence. He doesn't seem to notice the other actors. He feels like, you know, featured extra. Uh, so we focus on these two these two rogues. The title credit sequence is the Apple Dumpling Gang. Oh, I immediately you assume think, yeah. these guys are our main characters and they are the Apple Dumpling Gang. Mm, fascinating. And we're yeah. watching the story yeah. of these two clowns who think they're a cowboy gang and they're and their escapades. I thought they were the protagonists. I think and and honestly, if the movie had delivered on that cons- I think it would have been a better movie. Yeah. I think I I think the idea of watching an old western from the perspective of two incompetent clownish outlaws. Mhm. if they felt the need to put this up front, they must know that's the most exciting thing about this movie. Why not just make that the movie? Well, and it's interesting because we what you're saying is we set up a protagonist problem right off the bat. Immediately. And I know more who about is that. the like if we ask the question, who is the Apple Dumpling Gang? We don't know the answer to that until the, the really the last, you know, three, four minutes of the movie. I mean, you even throw onto that their pictures are on the marquee. Right, they're the yeah. big stars of this movie. Uh, they're the image that everybody thinks of when I well, and they're the, the people Apple who Dumpling people Gang. they're the people who people are coming to see, right? Yeah. Like but why I, aren't yeah. they the Apple? And or don't make the movie called the Apple Dumpling Gang if these guys are not the Apple Dumpling Gang, right? I, like, I spent a lot of this movie going, okay, they're eating apple dumplings. And not them, not these guys, not the, the kids, outlaws. The kids, right, right. But but I don't understand why this movie is called the Apple Dumpling Gang until mm. about I I think you said it, the last third of the movie. Right. And it feels a lot like sketch comedy to me, kind of sure. like put together uh, several things stitched together. Um it feels more like television to me, like but it doesn't really feel like a movie. And this may have been something that they were thinking, let's at the same time make this for Wonderful World of Disney. Absolutely. Well, um, yeah, we're absolutely going to. And, gonna and as brilliant there, yeah. as that is and as successful that is for Disney, I think it lowers the quality of the movie you're making mm-hmm. uh, to do that. So, and yet, great success for them. So I, look, I mean, I'm wrong. But I, yeah, but like, I mean, you've watched things from the 70s before and you're like, this was a real big comedy and you watch it and you're like, okay, it's slow. Yeah. Or it doesn't People like- People used to have, have better attention spans. Exactly. Like the pacing isn't quite right or this doesn't feel like- mm, In a world yeah. in which we don't carry our phones with us everywhere, right? Like you give this your undivided attention and you maybe don't mind that right. things are going slow. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think audiences have changed for sure. Do you want to get I mean, into the structure and the yeah, plot? Yeah, let's of let's this get thing? into it. Okay. So so we're talking now. What we're looking for next on our plot line is what is going to be the inciting incident. Um, and since I've raised the specter of Pollyanna a little bit, I, I'm now actually seeing that maybe this is following the Pollyanna model. 
because mm-hmm. the children are coming to this town. They have no one to take care of them. Uh, so we get the sense that they're on this way. Uh, that's still exposition because the inciting incident is going to be the thing that really sets us off on the movie. We also meet uh, Donovan, who's come to town to play, to gamble because he's trying to get money to get himself to New Orleans. Um, what would you say the inciting incident of this is, though? I think the kid's being placed with Donovan. I think if if that doesn't happen, there's no... I mean, you could have a different movie, as is sure. evidenced by the book, right? But yeah, I think that in this movie, the kid's being placed with Donovan and him obviously wanting to get shed of them or figuring out what to do with them. That's, this is that's Scrooge what, that's McDuck getting the nephews. This is yeah. Aunt Polly getting Pollyanna. Yep. This, this is all of those movies where someone finds themselves to be the unlikely parent to a bunch. This is Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We, we yeah. see this in a lot of movies. The inciting incident is uh, this adult and these children are bonded in a way that will change their lives forever. Right. And he I says would, things like, he says things like, oh, what have I done to deserve this? Which is probably how quite a lot of people viewed uh, parenting in the 1970s. And like things like don't get into trouble. Uh, I, I actually also feel, uh, and we'll get into it for a bit, that Don- Donovan is being punished for things we assume he's done, but not things that he's act- that we've ever seen him do. Yeah, he seems a little shady, like from the exposition. Sure. He seems a little like, oh, hey, I'm going to do this. And he has a bit of a gambling problem, right? Another thing that we can add to the G rating. Um, it concerns. But yeah, I think uh, he's probably not the ideal, um, ideal father. No, and in fact, like, in that poker scene, I expected to see him cheating. I expected to see him, like, at, at this poker game. But actually, he loses the poker game, right? Like, he's he's not he's not uh, fleecing them in that particular scene. He's the one who gets swindled by another guy who says, hey, I've got some important cargo. Will you sign for it tomorrow? Right. Um, and the cargo ends up being the children, and he gets saddled with the custody of those children. Right. Um, but a swindle, a swindler gets swindled, right? But it almost feels to me like I'm misjudging his character in that moment. I thought for sure he was a cheater, and I just, mm. I just don't know that he. And maybe he is, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. Um. But but right now, I don't I don't know it. So they get bonded. Uh, the sheriff says, "Listen, these kids are now yours." If you try to leave town, I will. I wouldn't recommend it. I'll hunt you down and bring you back. Which, um, welcome to Empty Threat Theater, because this sheriff isn't going. This sheriff doesn't like to move more than five feet at a time. I'm sorry. Lots of we see lots of other people <laughs> skip town. This is like, like, what is he talking about? I'm gonna hunt you Hilarious. to the ends of the earth. Sure you are. In between, okay. Anyway, uh, we'll get back to that. I have issues. I have issues with the sheriff. Okay. Um, uh, he, you know, he, he is a reluctant caretaker for the children, but he does make sure that their most basic needs are met. We get the sense he would do more if he had more. Uh, the kids cause him some problems in town. That is very frustrating. He makes a lot of money gambling, uh, but then the kids have broken so much stuff in town that, uh, he he loses all the money that he just made. This is a town of giant mirrors. <laughs> I mean, for sure. 
For I sure. mean, it has, Quake City has a little Passamaquoddy character to it, I think. I mean, it's called Quake City, but its major import-export seems to be breakables. This is not... People this weren't is, thinking. People this town thinking. is doing the wrong business. That's awesome. Where are you going to deliver your mirrors, Quake City? Uh, I can't Rick imagine Jones. anything goes anything goes wrong. <laughs> right, right, right. So good. So, um, but but uh, this movie continues for a bit. We meet Magnolia, who's the one who bro- delivered the kids. Um, and then there's sort of like a second inciting incident, which is the kids discover gold in the mines. This gold is going to transform their lives, Donovan's lives. The entire town wants to adopt them. I would consider all of this rising action. Yes. I continue um I continue to think it's rising action when Amos and Theodore try to ro- steal the gold nugget. I th- I think it's still rising action when their actual legal guardian comes back to claim them now that they're rich, when Donovan proposes to Magnolia simply because they want to provide parents for the children. Mm-hmm. Uh where does this movie reach its climax? Well, you know, in the third act, we meet the real bad guys. I mean, there's the bad guys in in Amos and Theodore, but then there's the real bad guys in the Stillwell gang, right? Um, Nobody believes that Amos and Theodore are going to be able to pull off a bank robbery or steal this gold junk. Everybody is fine having them in town because they know that they're incompetent. It is an act of remarkable tolerance towards crime (laughs) in the Old West. Well... You know, they've never successfully stolen anything, so right. what's the harm in keeping them around? Exactly. And they tell them things like, pot- like they tell them, they tell them things like, Oh yeah, okay, you're gonna be hung, but you need to bring your own rope and show up at noon, you know? And they're like, Oh right. <laughs> and then they have to think about it for a minute, like, oh wait. <laughs> and, so and, yeah. And in fact and in fact, some of the people go like, you know, they might actually show up for that. <laughs> right. <day."> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so, uh, but I think the climax is really that final bad guy chase. You know, there's the uh, there there the chase of the Stillwell gang, uh, the foiled bank robbery, and the explosion. Right. I mean, I think that's kind of all builds into the you know the the. Um, but the it's a cr- problem. Yeah, the cr- it is because it's a lot of things. Um, it, it is everything you expect to see in a Western. So it is yes. delivering that for you. Yes, it is. But in a Western, you establish your villain much sooner than this. Um, and honestly, in a traditional Western, the enemy of the bad guy is the sheriff. Right. Right? Um, it's not... So So Stillwell, I, I will... I will stand by this. By the end of your movie, your bad guy and your good guy need to know each other and hate each other or know each other and have a relationship that has turned or see something in each other. But to to be random people who don't know each other is not satisfying. No. I I just met these dudes. I'm not afraid of them. I mean, it really, like it does. It feels like three television shows stitched together. Sure. Um, and and in the third television show, Donovan finally meets the Stillwell gang, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's 
it's a problem because it's and and really the gold is doesn't seem to be something Donovan cares all that much about. What is the seems, dramatic question that this movie is asking? The dramatic I mean, question should yeah. be, I guess, can they become a real family? Donovan, right. Magnolia, and the kids. But right. by the time the Stillwell gang has gotten involved, the kids no longer want the money. And neither Donovan nor Magnolia are concerned about the money. There's no real reason for for them to care about those stakes. There's no obstacle between yeah. them becoming a family. Like the gold is not the obstacle between them come becoming a family. Now, if Donovan was gold hungry or something like that, that would be different. But DuckTales does this better. Because DuckTales raises the question, if given a choice, would Scrooge choose his gold or would he choose his family? I mean, yeah, it'd be interesting if Donovan had been part of the Stillwell gang secretly and Stillwell comes to town and he's like, hello, Donovan, like ready to saddle up for New Orleans or whatever. And he's like, well, you know, then there's a choice, right? Then we find out Donovan's got a a past and there's all, you know, it's kind of a twist. He has a relationship with the bad guy. They used to be partners. And now Donovan is choosing these children over his gang. Mm -hmm. That is that is good storytelling. Yeah. This is just so like, okay, we're here for a Western. So let's do the obligatory bits. And we don't even get a shootout at the end. No, because uh, because no. I mean, we, well, we do works. get a shootout. We do get a shootout kind of. at the bank, right? At the um, bank, but not at the end between our hero and our villain. And there's a lot of shooting happening at that bank, um, which is kind of crazy. Um, it is kind of crazy, but like we don't really know like what they're shooting at. But it, yeah, right. it's agree. It's it's rough. Okay, so then falling action. Of course, we have the family. You know, Donovan and Magnolia start making out in the lake. um, And we see that they're now, you know, the five of them are going to form a family. And as they're on their way to the estate where they're going to live, they see Amos and Theodore on the side of the road. Those two inept guys who have tried to rob them multiple times, but they're turning over a new leaf. And Donovan says, come on board with us, you guys. And I guess... It's an even bigger found family. Yeah, Happy I mean, ending and for everyone guys, we like. Yeah, those guys almost feel like um, like the two bully kids in the neighborhood who, you know, everybody's like, come on, we can all play together, right? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I got it. Uns- it's a very unsatisfying ending for me. Even I would kid, not I let those guys in my wagon with my wife and children. <laughs> I, I, uh... So, so I want to I want to talk about the I want to talk about the reason why when we get to them in terms of character. Yes. Um, but yeah. So, so the plot is flawed, to yes. be sure. Um, and I I think it it goes off the rails immediately after the Manishtana. and it never that gets it is, back on. It never gets back on. It is serviceable. And it is mm-hmm. harmless. And I wasn't yelling at the screen the way that other movies have made me yell at the screen. But I think oh. there's a good movie just waiting to emerge. Yeah. And and it may just be they should have adapted more faithfully to the book. I, I'm not always in favor of that. Mm. But but 
the sheriff adopting the children just strikes me as he's got a responsibility to the town and he's got a responsibility to the kids. He's the servant with two masters. Uh, there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about characters a little bit. Let's talk about Russell Donovan, played by Bill Bixby, as we mentioned. Um, and his prime 1970s parenting of like, <laughs> y'all, y'all go play. I'm going to go into the saloon and talk, right? <laughs> so, like, um, yeah. <laughs> so there is... I don't know who this movie wants us to think this guy is because they're trying to have it both ways. On the one hand, he's a scoundrel. He mm-hmm. comes from town to town playing poker, raising money to get to New Orleans. And let's let's face it, 1975, going to New Orleans is considered like, well, that's where scoundrels go is exactly. New Orleans, right? That's right. I mean, it's scoundrel. Be- it's the capital of scoundrel land. Uh, my apologies to anyone in New Orleans, but you have you have dealt with that prejudice your entire lives. You you know I'm speaking what what I'm speaking to in terms of this, right? Um, and you might be proud of it, so <laughs> sure, and you you might enjoy that reputation. That's right. Uh, but by the same token, at every turn, he is honorable, compassionate, kind. Um, and those two things, it's not like, I feel like they are two things that don't go together. I could see a movie in which a roguish scoundrel becomes an honorable man. But for him mm-hmm. to be both of those things at the beginning of the movie, I can't abandon these children because they were left in my care. What if he tried to abandon the Like, he goes around from house to house trying to get someone to adopt them. But what if he did try to sneak out of town and the sheriff caught him and brought him back? What if he does the scoundrelly things and has work to do till he becomes a suitable guardian for them? Mm. What if by the time the kids find the gold, he suddenly turns around and he's like, now I like you guys. You made me rich. But he wants the gold for himself. Right. Yeah. The second that they get the gold, his response is, well, that's their gold. That's not mine. And. Like, Which seems strange, mis- right? Wh- where did that come from? Where did that turn come from? I never know who he is. At one point, he's going to get married to Magnolia because for legal reasons, he wants to go to New Orleans. But if he marries her, she also gets the children. And it's all- clearly a business affair. But but she's like, are you going to exercise your husbandly duties? And he's like, oh, ma'am, I, w- I would never. I'm like, what? You you would you would never? Um, like who is this guy? Yeah, he he doesn't have a lot of backstory. We don't know a lot about him. And because of that, he's not the most interesting protagonist. He's not the and most he interesting could character. He could be. He could be. He- like if you merge the characters of Bill Bixby and say the sheriff, like in the book, right? I think sure. you'd have a I think you'd have a more interesting deal. I, it's just, I think it's like we're afraid to have our leading man be a character. He's just got to be a leading man. He's got to be good looking to look at. And he's, then if he's good looking to look at and he smiles a lot, we have to make sure the audience always likes him. And if they always like him, we've got a protagonist. And for, by 1975 standards, they're right. I'm wrong. Yeah, maybe. But again, maybe. maybe. Yep. 
All right, let's talk about Magnolia Dusty Clydesdale, played by Susan Clark. She makes a great son of a gun stew, which, by the way, is a stew made with innards like tongue, tripe, kidney, heart, liver, brain, sweetbreads, all that stuff. I didn't know there was a big cattle rush or a big cattle drive, rather, in a gold rush town in California. Yeah. But what what do I know? I, I didn't understand that either. It looked like that land was pretty deserted. Right. Um, like, don't cattle need to eat, like, grass? Mm, Again, I, I constantly get into trouble because I'm not a zoologist in this movie. But I don't I don't think cows survive in the desert. There's uh, a lot, yeah. Anyway, so I think there's a lot of mixed. Um, but again, it's California and it's a Western and yeah. We're not really sure where this place is. I mean, I'm assuming Northern California. So, okay. I'm assuming. I don't know. I mean, what do I know? You know. Uh, I've seen a lot of Westerns that are actually in Italy. So so what do I know? There, there you go. I mean, the good news about Dusty is that she's non-binary and she seems to be very comfortable in her skin. And yes, she, you know, wants love. But she's also a, I mean, she's the more far more interesting of a character to me than the Bill Bixby character. Infinitely more interesting. Yeah. She's a woman who wants to be taken seriously in this man's world. Mm hmm. Right. Yeah. Um. She, she's she's assertive. She's dangerous. Like she's mm -hmm. arguably the most dangerous person in that town when she's throwing those pots and pans. She's the one who starts like what would we would consider the classic barroom brawl right, in the middle right. of the, of the saloon. Right. Um. Which I guess you if know, you're at home watching Gunsmoke or uh, Bonanza or whatever, that's kind of a welcome a welcome shift, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. I, I would say she is progressively characterized by 1975 standards. Yeah, for sure. Uh, arguably the best of of the heroic characters that we meet. And she has great eyes, by the way. I love. Oh, for sure. She has great eyes. Not that anybody I, I like can control how, that, but the camera really likes her eyes a lot. There's a thing that a lot of movies do. We saw this in the Princess Diaries, where we have like a beautiful woman. And, um, you know, like we hide that she's beautiful and then there's the emergence that she's actually beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I I never really feel that reveal. You can always tell like it's two seconds of work to make to make this person beautiful. Mm -hmm. But in this movie, they make her dirty and they dress they dress her in such a way that I think the revelation gets pulled off mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think when he starts seeing her as a woman in the audience, we're seeing her as a woman at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the marriage? I mean, is that set up well enough as to why they no. have to get married? It didn't feel good. It didn't feel right to me either. So if he is so honorable, he's going to marry her and then ditch, ditch her right with the kids. What's what's to her advantage? Why doesn't he just say here, Dusty, you take the kids. And Dusty's like, okay. Yeah. Like, why do they have to go through this whole marriage thing? I think because of the Gold deal. Nugget. Yes. Well, there's a deal with the who gets okay, the I can kids and who wants the kids, but it's it's not super clear. It's not clear. So the sheriff. So when when the kids are worth nothing, mm -hmm. and Donovan signs for the kids, um, Donovan gets the kids because nobody in town wants them. He goes right. around to see if anybody wants them because he will relinquish his custody if they want him. 
Once the kids discover gold, suddenly everybody wants them. But I, if I was the sheriff, I would file that under too bad, so sad. You had your chance to adopt these children. And I don't didn't. know. Yes. And, and Donovan no longer wants to give them up to you. That's too bad. But right. apparently the laws in this town, which see, seem to be arbitrary and change based on the sheriff's mood, allow for this public forum in which anyway, the person who's going to make the decision about who gets the kids is the sheriff because he's also the judge. So what are, what are the stakes like like there? Right. Basically, right. What he, basically what he says, listen, if you marry... Uh, Dusty, I'll let you, I'll let I'll let her keep the kids and the gold. Everything will be nice and legal and what have you. It's the but I also get the sense that the sheriff believes that there is something in the act of getting married that creates a sacred bond that will make you fall in love if you're not already in love. That his plan. Yeah really is he sees that they're attracted to each other even though they may not know that they're attracted to each other and he's like you know what these kids need is a little push and by little push i mean shotgun wedding yeah i mean harry morgan and homer mccoy is being harry morgan he's this character in mash he's this character in dragnet he's this character in every other disney movie so but it is it the plot gets muddly it just right there it gets kind of like we have to take time out for a lot of exposition to kind of figure it out. And I'm still not quite sure that. And I just want to say out. to the listener at home, getting married does not actually force you to love the person you're married to. Correct. It does. It, you should probably do it the other way around. Mm-hmm. Don't lift it. Listen to Sheriff McCoy. Life advice with Larry. Okay. There you go. I'm, I mean, <laughs> you can. You guys can write in with your personal problems. Andy and I are capable of handling that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We'll do We're, that as a feature. Yeah. That's just a that's just a little service we throw in. Okay. So Buddy says something. He says that they go together like, what, whiskey and ice cream? Which, delicious. So. Oh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't either. All right. The Bradley okay, kids. Wow. <laughs> Bradley kids, Bobby, Clovis, and Celia, Clay O'Brien, Brad Savage, Stacey Manning. Stacey Manning, this was her only movie, only thing she ever did. And um, apparently she's a teacher in uh, California now. So. But she's got a story. And she's got a great cool. story. That's right. It's cool to have a story. That's right. So there is a movie in which these kids might be the protagonist of the story in the way mm-hmm. that Pollyanna or, or Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the Bedknobs and Broomsticks kids right. might be the protagonist of their story. The problem is, I barely know them. They have a Bedknobs and Broomsticks problem, and I'm glad yeah. you brought that movie up, because they really don't do much. I mean, they strike gold, which is exciting. Uh, Clovis kicks people. Celia has to pee a lot. Bobby narrates what's going on and tells the grown-ups what's going on in the minds of the other two. They eat apple dumplings. Celia gets a new, but they don't really drive this story in a way that they could. And I think it's a huge missed opportunity, but I also think it's pretty normative for children to be seen and not heard much in, in Disney movies of this era. But this movie is called the apple dumpling gang. Correct. And if it's not (laughs) Amos and Theodore, 
who right. are the apple dumpling gang. I'm looking at these kids who, by the way, like eating apple dumplings. Therefore. But you know what? <laughs> but you know what? They're not a gang. Mm, yeah. They're just three siblings. Right. They're not the apple dumpling gang either. And I mean they I do wish that they, were. they do crash the um the gold the the cart, um the train car. They get up to hijinks. There it's hijinks, but it doesn't drive the story. Correct. It doesn't because even when they break this stuff. They don't tell the kids, you need to pay for this. And the kids go, we should go looking for gold, right? No. What do they do? The townspeople go put Donovan on the hook for it. And it just occurs to me, here's what this movie should be. It's not my pitch. I have a different thing for the pitch. Okay. But this movie should be Amos and Theodore, those gullible clowns that we meet at the beginning who are inept. Mm -hmm. They get custody of these three kids. They're swindled by like another rogue who's like, hey, I got to, I got a good opportunity for you, for you rogues. Cause they're they would clearly fall for it. And suddenly the sheriff says, Well, you're their parents now. And we went watch these bumbling idiots try to raise these three kids who are smarter than them. Mm-hmm. And ultimately the three kids go, You guys are gang robbers, you're doing it all wrong. And they start That's- giving advice to to Amos and Theodore, and Amos and Theodore start being successful at their crimes. The kids are now part of the gang. Right. And they say, listen, there's three of us, there's two of you, we're changing the name of our gang. And, and uh, you know, Theodore goes, but we've always been the hatchet knife gang. Well, let's put it to a vote. Now we're the apple dumpling gang. Right. And it's a found family of roguish like little kids and clownish guys. And we're off to the races. Yeah. It's it's the circus, Andy. This movie should be the circus. I mean, and it is circus, circus-y. And, yes. you know, Theodore Ogilvy, Amos Tucker, Don Nuts, Tim Conway. It's the best part of this movie. It, it, they are the reason why I would watch it again. Um, it's brilliant slapstick. It's the hash knife, by the way, is a blade that can't help but cut things, right? And these guys make, like, the ladder scene is some of the best. It's so great. It, it, it's it's cl- like it's, it's classic clown it's, work. It is. It's the Carol Burnett show. You would see that kind of thing on that show, and it's lovely and funny vaudeville. and witty and absolutely straight vaudeville. Wonderful. Um, but the but five of used- them together should yes. be the apple dumpling. Yeah. Then we yeah. have the title of the movie. Yeah. And when, when Theodore and Amos are with the kids... They play together very well. Like yeah. when they're sitting around the campfire and they tell them what's going on, the kids tell them what's going on and they react to it and respond to it. I mean, th- those two are able to play in a way that when the kids are with Bill Bixby, it doesn't have the same magic. Because because the reason that this is magical is Amos and Theodore are kids in yes. adult bodies and they work with kid logic. They're just bigger kids yeah. than the three children. The three children are more mature than they are. We could uh I I so so listener, that's the movie that I think would be a timeless classic for the ages as opposed to it was a big hit in 1975, but right. Disney doesn't even seem to want to remake it. Right. 
I mean, and you have to ask the question, like, will the real protagonist please stand up, right? Uh, And and I, again, I think the protagonist is supposed to be Donovan because he shifts from not liking the kids to loving the kids and Dusty. Sure. But it could just as easily, as you said, be Amos and Theodore or even the children, right? But I can see Theodore and Amos who've had this partnership. They get the kids and maybe Amos is like, ah, but Theodore, the kids need blah, 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 blah. And and Don Knotts goes away. Well, are we gang robbers or are we mother hens? And, and like they have a fight. Like, like right, the, right, the right, kids right. break them up, but then they have to come back together. That's a found family movie. Yeah. That's the found family movie I want. It just, it feels like some very talented actors were given a script that was maybe a little half cocked. Yeah. And yeah. again, there's always like, like, it's like uh, Roger Ebert says, there's always something to look at on the screen because you've got some of the most talented actors in show business, right? I, I, again, I don't think the movie we got is a bad movie. Yeah. I just think, I just think it could be better. If Disney locked it inside the vault. There wouldn't be massive outcries except from maybe your family. Except for me. That's right. I know. I know. All right. So, okay. So pitch time. So given the Apple Dumpling Gang, the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again. Um, I think you could maybe argue that Hot Lead and Cold Feet has a little bit of a, although Conway's not in that, I don't but think. But Don Knotts is, right? Don Knotts absolutely is. Um, what uh, what would we do with this material All right. for a pitch? All right. I'm, I'm very anxious to hear your pitch. Okay, so I'm imagining I'm I'm with producers right now. They've they've told me that they want to remake this movie. And what do I think about the Apple Dumpling Gang? And I say, listen to this podcast, because here's my here's my thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I would legitimately say to them. Here's what I want the movie to be. And if, if they don't buy my Theodore and Amos raise the kids one, I've got another version of it. And the other version of it is there's a town. They are besieged by the worst criminals who call themselves the Apple Dumpling Gang. Mm. A sheriff comes to town to find that the entire town is terrorized. Like the trains get hit, the cattle get stolen, they even steal the candy out of the candy store. And he's come up to clean this clean this town up. And so he goes into the mountains to track down the Apple Dumpling Gang and he finds out the Apple Dumpling Gang is entirely children. That this town Ooh. is being robbed by a gang of kids. Mm. And we we work into this that there's actually a more sinister bad guy on the horizon. Um, that the kids are like, like uh, they themselves are afraid of and maybe pay tribute to. Like the kids get left alone if if uh, they give they, they're stealing because they have to, because this bad guy in like this sort of Fagin Oliver, Oliver Twist sort of way. Uh, has trained them to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's about the sheriff saying, okay, there's a gang of kids. Uh, what they need is a strong father figure. And then he turns them into his deputies to stop the real bad guys. Oh, interesting. But th- you know what What I like about my pitch? What's that? It has an apple dumpling gang in it. <laughs> it delivers uh, on the thing delivers that the, on title the title says promises. that it is. Well, I think the idea, I really like your pitch, by the way. I think the idea of a Western for kids is a good one. Agreed. Uh, I think the elements of the Apple Dumpling Gang, as we've said, are all here. And I think I'll pitch a rewrite 
told from Celia's perspective and stay closer to the book and give her something to do than just go to the bathroom all the time. Um, So her father's a drunk who loses their farm to Donovan in a poker match. And he sees his opportunity to skip town. So she and her brothers are abandoned. And then she uses her charm to foil some would-be robbers to help her brothers in their grief and to win over Donovan. I'm I'm there they for try it. to share this, you know, share this space. By so. the way, yes. By the way, I, I like your pitch too. Yeah. Um, I want to throw out to movie makers. If you want kids to stay in the seats for your movies, maybe don't have the characters constantly talk about needing to go to the bathroom. I have to imagine in 1975, I would have had to take my kids to the bathroom every time Celia says, I need to go, I gotta go, and I'm gonna miss half of this movie. (laughs) Power of suggestion (laughs) is a dangerous thing, you guys. Very funny. Although, in 1975, if you had to go to the bathroom and you were traveling, I mean, there weren't like a lot of places like there are now. Like it's it's different. Like at least in the Midwest, it was a little different. So you, you know, okay. you got to go okay. where there's a spot. So no, maybe look, that's funnier. Maybe it lands funnier. I don't I, know. I totally <laughs> understand that it is realistic for people to relieve themselves. It's just, uh, I, I, it's like but you've tucked you've tucked in kids before, and you know if somebody has to go to the bathroom, they all have to go. So that is exact. It is a, yes. <laughs> That what is exactly movie, it. What movie are we tackling next week, Larry? So next week we are returning to uh, Neverland. This is Ooh. the direct to DVD sequel, uh, Peter Pan Two: Return to Neverland, and this is, I think, the rare direct to Disney DVD that you and I have both seen already. I think we've seen we've both seen it, and um, I remember liking it. Um, we, I just watched Peter Pan and Wendy, which is the new movie out and i liked it a lot so and i just saw peter pan peter pan goes wrong on broadway and guys that's (laughs) delightful it's not disney but it's delightful i i I recommend that so we're in a peter pan mood uh man what andy peter pan goes west that should have been our (laughs) pitch for the apple dumpling gang well, yeah, I mean, I think it is your pitch in a way, right? Yeah, um, I guess. It's the Lost yes. Boy, the Lost Boys of the Apple Dumpling Gang. So There you go. There you go. Well, Crossover. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page or drop us a line in our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon. <laughs>